Hello, everybody, and welcome to week seven of Stat Chasing. We had an exciting week in week six. A couple of rookie wide receivers uh, that flashed the first time seeing the field and seeing meaningful usage. And also got to see some new look backfields in Seattle and in Los Angeles with the Rams that we'll be breaking down this week. Connor, how did your week six go for fantasy? Um, in my uh, in my daily uh, uh, kind of best ball stuff, I more or less bro- broke even. I, I I had some teams that were solid, but never really sniffed at top of the leaderboard. And I suppose that that's just kind of the way it goes. Uh, you're you're just you're just praying for that one sweat. Uh, maybe you get, you get a handful of real sweats per season, and uh, yeah. that was not this week. Yeah, I, I was traveling last week, so I didn't get a chance to play uh, any daily fantasy or any best ball on underdog, anything like that. But uh, yeah, didn't have the best week in in my managed leagues. I think a couple, couple frustrating uh, injury situations that that were tough. I think the T Higgins thing was, was one that was tricky to know how to handle. Um, but yeah, not the best week, but what can you do? Gotta, gotta keep moving forward. And hopefully with the bye weeks coming up with how I built some of my teams with deep wide receiver, uh, benches, hopefully can, can string together some wins here, but right. We'll find out. Yeah, that would, that would help. Right. Yeah, that's how it works in theory. Uh, <laughs> we'll test it in practice coming up. But yeah, anyways, uh, let's dive into the data here for weeks one through six. And uh, for folks listening live, feel free to ask any questions in the YouTube chat. We'll try to cover it here uh, live. Um, and obviously just a plug for those listening either on, on video after the stream or uh, li- listening on podcast apps, <clears throat> you are able to join the Ship Chasing Discord. You can find more info in the description for the YouTube video here. And uh, you're able to access these streams live and, and ask us questions in the chat or even after the show in the Discord. So just wanted to give a quick quick plug for that before we dive into the data here. So like always, we'll start with quarterback. And here we're looking at quarterback passing efficiency, efficiency, excuse me, and rushing production for all of the league's uh, starting quarterbacks or projected starters going forward. So here on the y-axis, for those following along on video, we have touchdown rate, so percentage of throws that end up in a touchdown, and on the x-axis we have adjusted yards per attempt, which is a simple yards per attempt metric, but adjusted for interceptions and touchdowns so for example you'll see kenny pickett is kenny pickett is way off to the left here he has a bad adjusted yards per attempt because in a relatively small sample he's thrown four interceptions and just one touchdown so that will really weigh down guys like that who have way more interceptions than touchdowns so anyways that's that's the chart here and again i guess final last thing to add the size of the bubble here is rushing yards you really see guys like lamar jalen hurts pop in a big way here. Drico, um, the thing that stands out to me first from the start, maybe we can start the conversation here, is Bailey Zappi uh, 
way off on the top right corner next to guys like Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Tua. Now, obviously, he doesn't have the the rushing uh, the rushing prestige of some of those guys, but he has been really good over the past couple of weeks. In my sort of takeaways, which I posted on Twitter, I I thought that he is a viable streaming candidate um, if he continues to start over Mac Jones. Do you have any thoughts on Bailey Zappi going forward um, if he if he continues to start games here? Yeah, so I guess one um, one one thought I did have was a Zappi Zappi, and uh, <laughs> one thought I did have is that it is a relatively small sample size. So he's got seventy pass attempts, and he's done really really well with those seventy pass attempts. And I think that I I, I I think that being very efficient like to, on this scale is 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 really strong. It's a really strong start. And that if you are in trouble at quarterback, there's probably worse directions that you can go. And one I I guess one discomfort i would have if 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 there was a kind of like a legitimate option like i'm not starting him over uh let's say jared goff or geno smith and and, and the reason for that would be obviously that the, the rushing is is low and then it you, you you can have a guy who comes out the gate playing well and um, in the first two games and then because of, because of the small it's a small sample size it's not always reliable as you want, and then the next game it craters. But that I, I'm trying, I'm trying to find the nuance yeah. of like saying it's really encouraging, really exciting, um, yeah. but you have to keep in mind that uh, that this could regress in a big way. Yeah, I I agree with that largely. I think you know I'm still starting Gino, still starting Jared Goff over him. I think once you start to get got down to guys like in your deeper leagues, maybe if you're considering between him and Penny and Kenny Pickett coming off that concussion, that's maybe a decision point. If you're deciding between him and Jimmy G, um, Ryan Tannehill, I think that's a decision point. I think that's kind of the tier of guys. Yeah. For sure. um, but yeah. And then I, I guess the other thing to mention on Zappy that I thought was interesting is the Patriots were up <clears throat> for almost all of that game. And something we saw with the Patriots last year in games that were close or where they're winning which didn't happen very frequently, but certainly decent sample size. They were willing just to run the shit out of the ball. They didn't really let Mac Jones throw it around much. Uh, last week, I believe the Patriots got, what was it, up to, I think, 40-plus pass attempts. I'd have to check um, the box score again for Zappi. Um, I'm, me... I'm pulling it up now. Yeah. Okay, so it was 34 pass attempts. Um so again, yeah, not massive volume, but in a game where they were leading the entire way, that's still pretty solid. Um, right. So I, I think that's just something to consider that, and, and maybe it was due to the Damian Harris injury as well, that they're willing to lean on the pass a bit more, but we saw them throw it in, even in a game where they're leading the whole time. So that's something to consider where in negative game scripts, there could be a lot of volume. But yeah, I think... I think that's the right sort of nuance that you touched on around Zappy, like viable streamer, but not someone you're starting over 
the normal starters or even right. guys like Goff or Gino, you probably picked up off the wire already. And one thing that I, I found interesting about this chart is that uh, Joe Burrow, he's moved into the uh, into the good section. He's moved from the bad section of the chart in the kind of he was in the kind of bottom left. Now he's, he's moved out of the like, Davis Mills zone, which is good to see. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I think it's interesting in how um, with the sample size that we're working with, how one game can truly change that in a, in a, a kind of dramatic way and uh, completely change the picture that you're looking at and i think that is uh that's kind of like important to keep in mind with some of these kind of uh underperforming players that have played really well in the past like what i mean i i guess the 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 context for color murray is almost too bad to really to i guess at this point expect a huge jump in efficiency um but he is someone who has had really really good games and they do get nuked back and we just have an example of how one game can completely change the perception on uh on a player yeah yeah i think that's a good point and i almost like well i, I was watching that uh denver chargers game last night and in the first half, the Denver passing offense actually looked quite good. Russell Wilson was connecting on some some deep plays. It didn't look like incredible by any means, but I was starting to maybe come around there. It looked like a I, real offense. Yeah, it looked like a real offense. Second half completely collapsed. But I think Russ is another guy that jumps out there where the media narrative is so against Russ. He's been in all these primetime games where he's looked awful. And he has been bad. I will say I do think part of how bad they've been is just really, really, really bad red zone efficiency. And some of that is probably structural. Like Russ looks bad down there. He's throwing up these gross floaters. He's immediately turning around and running every time he sees pressure. Like it, it doesn't look good. But I think that's a situation where the red zone efficiency is going to positively regress. And I'm not here to tell you Russ Wilson is going to be a top five quarterback the rest of the way. But um People might be really down on him in your league. So he's another guy where if you can get him for really cheap, maybe in, in super flex where you can kind of get more value out of it, that's that's a place I might be looking. Because, again, his adjusted net yards per attempt or adjusted yards per attempt is quite high, even with a really low TD rate. So that tells you that I think he's maybe not playing as bad as the media narrative sort of. Would, would so, so one one piece of context, and I was just thinking about this because I think I made this point on Russell Wilson <laughs> that his adjusted yards per attempt is still quite good. Is that he holds the ball a long time, so he takes a lot of sacks. Yeah, sacks are not factored in here, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, and and so I, I think we have to kind of like uh, visually adjust that he's yeah. probably closer to the average in adjusted yards per attempt, and. When you account for the the, the sacks and, and stuff like that, yeah, that's a good point. Like, yeah, I think it'd be interesting if we if we had this data, and I haven't really seen people break it down like this, but sort of a yards per drop back um, statistic that factored in both sacks as well as like scrambles and rushing yards. I think that would be interesting to see how that affects guys like Russ who take a lot of sacks, or guys like Lamar who maybe adding right. a lot through through the ground on their dropbacks. Um, but just a hypothetical thing, maybe worth checking out 
uh, in future weeks. Yeah, Anyways, maybe, maybe maybe we should be doing this uh, per dropback. Uh, yeah, I think it'd be cool. Back. Yeah, like that that would that would uh, that would be a good adjustment for sure. Yeah. Um. Anything else on the quarterbacks that jumps out to you, Connor? I think you know we've we've been doing this for six weeks now, so I think we've touched on a lot the of the trends guys. are the same for the most part. Yeah. Um, I, I think we're we're both seeing that. Um I think that uh um it's it's probably uh worth pointing out. So we have uh two attacking Aloha um in here just because he is expected to start next week. But one thought I did have about that is that the sample size of games is smaller for for him yeah. than the rest of the players, which probably does help. Um, because he had such outlier games, it probably is a factor of, of in in terms of pushing him on to to be the leader in adjusted yards per attempt. And I'd have to imagine that if he uh, if he had the bigger sample size, that he'd be closer, um, be closer to the average by by maybe a smidge. Um, but having said that, still happy to fire him up in um. And probably if, if if you have them, unless unless it's over like a Josh Allen or like uh, a Patrick Mahomes, a, a true elite option, still a very strong play, I think. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm starting him over like the Mariota, like Rogers, uh, Derek Carr, type, sort of guys in that that range. I think I'm taking the risk with Tua. He's going back this week. I'm a believer in the the Miami scheme and the the talent at wide receiver. Just watching those games, Tyreek Oak. Tyreek Hill is just getting open with such ease. Jalen Waddle can stretch the field and also do do the yak stuff that Tyreek can do. It's just it seems to be a really good good passing scheme with uh, talented weapons. So I'm yeah, I agree. It's a small sample. Like I don't expect Tua to stay on the top right corner of this chart with that level of efficiency, but I do still see him as a high high upside quarterback going forward that I'm for sure I'm taking taking a shot on. And I think the evidence has been that. Uh... He is an he is additive to the offense. Like it's not like they can just run out any other quarterback and ball out. Like they've genuinely missed him over the past couple of games. Um like th- there's a very noticeable difference in the offense when he plays. Uh which I I, I think is kind of like a strong sign in, in to, that there should be good efficiency, good to strong efficiency for him going forward. Yep. I agree. One, one point, and um, I just changed uh, in my spreadsheet. I just changed Russell Wilson, and uh, from uh, using the the attempts to to dropbacks, and by using dropbacks, it pushes him from a seven point one adjusted yards per attempt to six point one, and mm. uh, which is still, uh, I guess, if you if you look at the where the the chart is six point one, that that pushes him closer to the, uh, I guess. Just ahead of Matthew Stafford range. Yeah. And and I guess to be fair to him, like you would have to do that adjustment for everybody, right? So like everybody's yeah. probably shifting a little bit, but I'm guessing that with the amount of sacks he's taking, he is shifting like the most to the left on this chart, if you want to visualize it like that, relative to other players. Um, but right. yeah, that that's a good point. And maybe next week we will have that view for quarterbacks. So yeah, can... I think we should. Yeah. Okay, great. 
Moving on to running back here. Um, so the expected points chart is back after a, a brief um, absence last week. I thought it was thought it was interesting to bring back this week for a couple reasons. But to those following along on video and and on audio, I suppose we're looking at running back workloads in terms of expected fantasy points, and also looking at their efficiency. So fantasy points over under expected. Here in this chart on the y-axis, we have receiving workload. So you see guys like Austin Eckler really spiking there with massive receiving roles. And on the x-axis, we see rushing expected fantasy points. So you see guys like Chubb, Derrick Henry, Taylor, etc., showing up with huge workloads there, as we would expect. So Connor, my first takeaway in looking at this chart, I think Eckler is a guy that's kind of flown under the radar a little bit in fantasy this season. I think the first couple weeks, people were really scared about his role. He didn't really have a high snap rate. A lot of Michelle and Josh Kelly mixing in for rushing attempts. But this receiving workload, I don't know if it's a product of Keenan Allen being out, but it's really, really spiked recently. I believe he had 10 catches last night in a truly gross, like, compiling PPR effort. But still, anytime a running back can get 10 catches, that's just flashing amazing upside for for PPR formats. But yeah, how it's like um what you call it? it's like last year a little bit, isn't it? Where they came in with this plan of oh hey, we can't just give every touch to Austin Eckler. Uh he's one of our best players. We need to like preserve him. And then they realized that the guys that they brought in to take the load uh are just not up to snuff. Um and yeah. they're having to go back to Austin Eckler a lot more. And then I believe, um, who was the backup running back for the Chargers? Josh Kelly went down with the knee, a knee yeah. injury. Yeah. So that 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 probably helped them there. Yeah. Um, but uh, he's also been quite strong uh, in the last couple of games. And I I think the other part of it is is that he's also good at football. Very good. And um, so. That's something where a guy can get maybe more. Maybe he he is in a committee or he uh he he's, his snap share isn't as quite as strong as you'd like, but he just plays so well that he's getting you touchdowns. He's getting you uh, production, and yep. he's definitely in that category. Yep, and and it's an interesting sort of contrast. We'll see when we go to the snaps chart in a little bit. He does not really flash there, but in terms of just raw expected fantasy points per game he is now third at running backs behind only joe mixon and leonard fournette he's at 18.7 total expected fantasy points per game so that's a anytime you're getting approaching 20 over this large of a sample size that's a really really strong expected fantasy points workload and like you said he's a talented running back i expect him to be able to add um fantasy points on top of that through his efficiency and that chargers offense being you know hopefully uh pretty high scoring so yeah, if you have if you have Eckler, I think you're pretty excited. Outside of, I'm not sure he wouldn't be the third running back, and, and maybe you know, uh, best ball resurrection's over, so we can't check. So I was actually but... just going to make that point. So the best ball resurrection is over, yeah. but we still do have ADPs from the daily best ball, and obviously that uh, is only the main slate. And uh, yeah. when you're looking at the uh, with the, I, I guess the biggest sample only includes the main slate. Um, but Austin Eckler, he is the third running back overall um, by ADP, and he goes 
He's so that he goes at an average of pick 6.7. That's five picks ahead of Nick Chubb. And then seven or six and a half picks ahead of uh, Christian McCaffrey. That that is interesting. Um, yeah, like in these ADPs, like Derrick Henry is the first running back. Right. Where I guess half PPR is a slightly different game. I can I can see why he's in the same range as those guys, but I think I'm pretty easily taking Eckler over Henry. Um, I probably am taking McCaffrey over Eckler though. Right. Um, so I think I guess that's that's probably about right at what his ADP is. So um, yeah, I I think that uh that underdog is obviously a fairly uh, sharp site, uh, and they've definitely noticed that uh that increase in production for Eckler. Um. Yeah. The one the one running back that uh is yeah should be on this chart that is still discounted is Brees Hall. So Brees Hall goes at a pick of an average of 30, which is the last round in these uh, best ball dailies. And uh, that kind of baffles me. Uh, that, that That's obviously a huge priority target. Uh, when he's getting over 15 expected points per game, he's a rookie who's playing really well. Uh, he does it in the run game and the, and the receiving game. Um, kind of a smash pick there, right? Yeah, yeah. Pick thirty. I don't know why he's going so late. And I think there's there's even upside. We saw it in like the first couple games with Joe Flacco. There was these massive receiving roles for some of these backs because the the game script kind of got out of hand for the Jets. Now the Jets have been good enough that they've been up in these games against the Packers. Uh, I'm blanking on who it was the week before that, but they've had some weird game script that I don't really expect going forward. So once the Jets start to have to throw more, I think that actually helps Brees Hall's ceiling because, you know, we've seen those running backs rack up a ton, a ton of catches in the first couple of weeks. So, yeah, right. I like, he's I like going to be a big part of their offense. A large part of their offense is going to have to run through Brees Hall. Yeah. Yeah, that offense, it seems to be Hall, a little bit of Carter, Garrett Wilson, and Corey Davis in the passing game. And that's about that's about it. Not a lot going to um, Elijah Moore, other periphery pieces there. So a lot of a lot of fantasy points go to the running backs on the Jets. Connor, the other thing I wanted to call out, uh, just sort of a quick note, Deion Jackson's role was really strong last week. Now, I think this is actually averaging two weeks of Deion Jackson starts. Right. Uh, and, or not, not starts, sorry. Two weeks of Deion Jackson getting snaps. And one of them um, was the week when Hines was still around and he didn't have a huge workload, but last week he had a massive workload, I believe off the top of my head, close to 20 expected fantasy points, uh, had like 80 plus receiving yards. Uh, so if Taylor and Hines remain out, he is uh, a must start. 23 and a half expected points. 23 and a half. Yeah. He, actually so. scored, he scored 28. So really strong game for him. Yeah, he looks really good out there. Just like a an eye test thing, definitely looks better. I mean, I don't know what happened to Philip Lindsay, but man, that guy like it's hard to describe. You got to watch him play, but he does this thing where he does this like stutter step forever, and it just goes nowhere. I, like he he looks like he has no juice out there. But that's just a random aside. Um, Deion Jackson definitely add him. I think Taylor will probably be back, and Hines is probably not out for too much longer. But he's definitely worth like a, a cheap add 
on the wire where you can get him and just see if you get another spot start out of him this week versus the Titans. Any other running back situations you want to talk through uh, in the AFC or shall we move on? I think, uh, yeah, I, I we, we have another chart and, yeah. and that I think is better for some of these situations. Yep, for sure. So touching quickly on the NFC here, same same chart just with the NFC running backs, so we can compare sort of across um, you know backfields. Look at look at committees within a certain team. A thing that stands out to me here, Connor, is there's a pretty clear and and we see it a little bit in the AFC too. There, there's a pretty clear separation of the haves and have-nots in the NFC. We essentially have four workhorse backs in the NFC with Barkley, Fournette. Camara and McCaffrey. And I think Barkley, Fournette, and McCaffrey, those <clears throat> those aren't surprising to anybody who's been following the show or to, who's been following fantasy this year. Those uh, those guys have been getting massive workloads all year. I think the Camara one is interesting because he has really shot up this chart over the last couple weeks with Andy Dalton playing and a ton of the wide receivers being out. Michael Thomas has been out. Chris Olave got concussed. Uh, Jarvis Landry has been out. So a ton of the pass game usage has been funneling to Kamara. And as a result, we're seeing this massive receiving workload for him. So yeah, quite question for you. What do you like on this chart? If you're just, you know, looking at it sort of blindly without the context, you would see, Oh, Kamara and McCaffrey should be valued, you know, about the same similar workloads. You know, what do you, what do you think about that with Kamara going forward do you expect this usage to continue with the wide receivers returning or do you think this is sort of a a small blip on the radar for him um so i think i still would have um caffrey a good bit ahead of camara um so i i guess so, so one of the big concerns for camara is that uh it's it's the Taysom hill monster where they just decide this is going to be the Taysom hill game and he, he he gets a lot of the touchdowns. He gets a lot of the uh, uh, the the yardage too. Um, and I guess another issue I have with Kamara is that, um, and and maybe this is too film grindery. It it does kind of look like he's still like while he's still very good, he's not quite the same player that he was. And. Uh, Whereas Christian McCaffrey looks like vintage Christian McCaffrey, mm-hmm. and I, I I do think that's like an important uh, distinction or di- or difference. Yeah, and it shows up here in the data. Um, <clears throat> McCaffrey has um, way more fantasy points over expected than Kamara. I think Kamara is actually underperforming his workload. Yeah, on the season he's averaging. About negative three fantasy points over expected per game, whereas McCaffrey is at plus two point two fantasy points over expected per game. So, sort of a five point difference there in terms of efficiency. Just looking at the fantasy points over expected metric between McCaffrey and Kamara. Yeah, I, I think I'm with you. The the TD equity uh is a concern for new orleans number one i don't think that offense is that great number two the Taysom hill situation and i really do think to the point i was sort of hinting at earlier i do think that camara's role 
if number one, Jameis comes back, he takes a hit. Number two, once Olave, Michael Thomas come back, he's going to take a hit. So he's racked up a lot of receiving yards the past two weeks. I think an average about 60 per game on six catches per game. I don't expect that to hold once all these receivers come, in, come back. They're truly trotting out like Marquez Callaway, Traquan Smith, some real sort of um, dumpster dive guys at wide receiver right now, which is funneling a lot of stuff to Kamara. Right. Um, and then I guess some of the other issue. Um, so um, like you said, the, the per game average on uh, his ex- fantasy points over expected has been bad. But some of the uh, – one of the – on the detail, one of the most concerning things for me is that uh, – so last week he had a expected receiving yards of 50. He came in uh, at 25. Um, not sure on uh, and then the average so his two games before uh week four I think I think that was week one and two he had an expected receiving yards of fifty he came in at nineteen um like it it the detail obviously this is a little bit small sample size but the detail there of uh, him coming in way under what his expected receiving yard should be is uh, uh, it, it, it's definitely concerning given given that the the eye test is is making it look like he's not quite as good as he was. Yeah, and it's we have a whole. I mean, I think we also have all of last year where we saw he was not the same old Kamara in terms of efficiency. He was a guy who always got there on pretty low volume and just insane efficiency. And last year he was more of a volume play with middling efficiency and we're kind of seeing that again this year with with Camara. So yeah, I agree it's concerning. I, you know, I see McCaffrey, Fournette, Barkley, and Camara sort of in this tier on the chart. I am way higher on the other three, especially McCaffrey and Barkley, uh, than than Camara going forward. Any other situations? So just want to yeah. say historical anomalies, uh, appreciate you uh Always catching the, the shows. Always with the appreciation. Um, thanks, dude. Yeah, appreciate that. And uh, yeah, if you have any 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 quick questions, uh, let us know in the live chat, guys. We'll be happy to answer them. The yeah, I think uh, Connor. I think we can probably move on to the snaps chart now, unless yeah, there's any, anything else. Sure. Yeah, let's do it. So. <clears throat> Still looking at running backs here. We're now looking at their usage. So the first two charts, we're looking at usage in terms of expected fantasy points. Now we're looking at usage just in terms of percent of team plays that they are getting a rush attempt or a route. So those are kind of the the juicy snaps where they're either directly getting the ball, rush attempt obviously, or they're running a passing route and have the opportunity to earn a target. We want to see workhorse running backs have a high percentage of their team plays where they're either getting the ball or they're out there running a route where they can earn earn a target. So it's sort and, of an interesting way. Yep, go ahead. And I, I guess one note is so this uh, this chart was inspired after a conversation with uh, with Ben Gretsch, where he had said, um, when a running for most running backs, unless it's a screenplay, when they get a target, it's usually not by design. 
normally it's because something down the field more desirable didn't work out as intended and they're a check down option. There are some running backs like Christian McCaffrey and Saquon Barkley who are true weapons and the team will look to, to find ways to get them involved and, and make them a big part of their offense uh, receiving wise. But for most running backs, that's not the case. And because of that, we want to concentrate more on just who's out there ready to receive a target rather than um, uh, receive uh, expected receiving uh, based on the targets they did get. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Yeah, like you'll see, you know, you'll see McCaffrey and Eckler run these routes out of the backfield where it almost looks like they're, pro- they're the primary read. They have a mismatch on a linebacker. They sort of do that. I don't know what's called that V route where they cut to the right and then cut to Texas. the middle. Yeah. Yeah. And you Texas see that, but then, you know, with guys like Joe Mixon, you know, Josh Jacobs, even Leonard Fournette, it's more so their targets are uh, Brady looks down the field. Nobody's open. Okay. Fournette's here. Like let's dump it off. Right. Him. So um, there's definitely a difference between those two types of backs, but for the latter, we definitely just want to see them running a high percentage of routes because that'll give them a chance. You know, the guys like Nick Chubb, Josh Jacobs, Fournette, who maybe aren't special wide receivers, we want to see them out there running a lot of routes because they're probably not getting designed looks in the passing game. It'll more have to be sort of on, on volume of just being out there on on routes. So, And yeah. Daryl Henderson is probably a good example of that where, like, nobody thinks of Daryl Henderson as this, like, supremo uh, running back receiving force. But we see that uh, he is running a very high percentage of uh, of his team's routes, which is pretty. Even though it's not, it's not a very good offense right now. It's, it's kind of a bad offense. It's still exciting to see a running back run that kind of route share. Yeah, I agree, and I think Henderson's maybe a good a good person to start this conversation with with. Uh, all the turmoil in the Los Angeles Rams backfield. So Henderson's an interesting one on this chart because he always shows up here as having the sort of top 12, you know, RB1 usage in terms of percentage of team plays where he's on the field. But as you can see here, that dark green bar for rush attempts is very low relative to the other guys on this chart. When he's out there, he's more so just running routes He's not really getting any rush attempts when he's out there. That's more so been the Cam Akers or last week Malcolm Brown role. But he is running a ton of routes. So I've I've been struggling with how to approach this Rams backfield going forward. I I think I want to be buying Henderson just because I think with this big of a workload of just being on the field and with, um, with Akers going away, I think the market is still a little low on him but yeah do you have thoughts i know there's also other guys we can discuss like malcolm brown and and kyron williams potentially coming back but do you have thoughts on the rams backfield going forward from sort of a season-long uh fantasy perspective of how you would how you would try to play it and for some reason and daryl henderson is always going at a discount and yeah so if if he he or sorry he is probably going to be the primary uh, beneficiary, um, 
just because he, he he was already kind of like a one A one B with Cam Akers, and now with him out of the picture, even even though um Malcolm Brown is there, and I'm definitely excited about uh, Kieran Williams, and um, he especially with the discounts that he tends to go at, and uh, um he's not he he's not in the the watch call it the daily. And yeah. best ball, and so don't really have a price check on him, but no. um, he is definitely somebody that I'm excited about. And then, Kieran, uh, Kyron Williams, probably not. He's not really a, a tournament player. Like he, you're not really gonna play him in daily fantasy unless Daryl Henderson gets hurt as well. And um, but definitely a ex- to me an exciting bench stash. Um. Uh, for two reasons. He was so productive in college. He played really, really well in college. Uh, and then he was also, uh, he, he also, I guess, he played himself into a week one role. They, they, they were going to use him in the offense in week one before he got injured. Um, and that's really tough to do for a rookie. So the fact that he was able to do that means they really like him and that he, once he comes back from injury, so he does have the uh, the high ankle high ankle sprain, and uh, but once he does come back, uh, definitely excited to see how he does. Yeah, I'm excited to see that too. Definitely a guy, I think you should be stashing. Circle anomalies asks, and you know I don't think we're we're trade experts here, but I think it's an interesting question with the CMC trade rumors. I think Cam Akers plus an early pick would be enough for the Panthers to pull the trigger on CMC. I'm guessing they wouldn't really care about Acres in that trade. They're more so would care about the pick. I think Acres probably around the, around the league right now doesn't really have any trade value. I'd be surprised if the Rams get much for him. But um, yeah, I we'll see. They're if gonna get a conditional day trade pick. Yeah, I think that's about Acres' value. So I don't know. Do the Rams even have any early picks <laughs> to offer? I I don't know the latest in their situation, but I know they've kind of uh, hemorrhaged. Hemorrhage the future with uh, all the, the the pick trades. So I don't think that's the most likely destination for for CMC, but I would definitely have to look into the the cap situations more. I'm I'm not firmly, um, you know, don't have a firm grasp on what's even possible there. Uh, but yeah, interesting question. We'll see if CMC gets gets moved in the next week or so. Connor, I think we talked about Brees Hall already, but. I wanted to bring him up here just because he finally, for the first week, has appeared on this chart, which is just showing running backs with more than 45% of routes or rush attempts. So number one, that's exciting that he's finally getting that um, larger usage in terms of just being on the field more. And number two, um, you look at all the guys in this chart that have over 100 expected fantasy points. And it's all guys way to the left of the chart. McCaffrey, Barkley, Taylor, uh, Fournette, and Nixon. Those are four out of the top five guys in terms of um, percent rush attempt or route rate. And then you have two other guys scattered across this chart with over 100 expected fantasy points. You have Eckler in the middle there. That's because when he is on the field, they are designing looks for him in the pass game very heavily. Um, so that kind of makes sense. And then Hall is the other outlier here with 103 expected fantasy points, even with a relatively low um, snap rate. So I just think that's really exciting that he's been able to generate that many expected fantasy points on that light of a workload. And there's still a ton of upside 
say is number one, you know, Carter could go down. That would open up for him. Or number two, if he just continues to to steal more of the work away, you know, especially in the red zone, I think Carter's sort of vultured a lot from him there. So I think, yeah, like we talked about earlier, the Brees Hall stuff is is really exciting. And I think if we were doing, you know, if we had best ball resurrection ADP, I think he should be like a late, uh, late first, early second round pick at this point. I think last week he was more like early third, late second. Um, I would be probably even more aggressive on him um, in, in that format. But so just looking at the the, the data from last week, um, so he had twenty rush attempts. Michael Carter had six. He had seven routes run, and Michael Carter had nine. So if we're looking at that from a share perspective, uh. I think they the the Jets only attempted uh, they only had 19 uh, 21 dropbacks 18 uh, attempts so you are looking at somebody who's getting a third or last week from last week getting about a third to a half of the uh, the, the the routes and getting all the carries so that I mean that that's an in modern day NFL starter and yep. you, you put in the efficiency um you put in the fact that he's scoring points in every game script. I think that the the first round pick is probably it's probably fair, but he's he's definitely I'm 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 most excited when I get a discount. Like on that where uh I, I'm most like I I feel like I can win the by the biggest amount, and this is this is probably a simple point by the biggest amount amount when I'm getting a bigger discount mm-hmm. uh, on him, because obviously we're kind of projecting going forward that he's going to dominate this backfield, and uh, and I want to I want to buy at a price where that doesn't assume that so that when he does, it's it's just a, a big win for me. Yeah, no, that, that that makes sense. And I would guess, you know, this is just winging it, but I would guess if there was a best ball season long tournament out right now, he would still be going sort of right. late, late second, early third. So I imagine there's still still right. room to get him there. Obviously, there's a ton of exciting wide receivers in that range. So, you know, it, it's tough to say without having that list and looking at the names there, but I'd be willing to be pretty aggressive on him just based on how he's performed so far. And I think things are still trending up. For Brees Hall, um, and 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 we do have the we have the daily and uh, best ball where he's going in the last round, so uh, definitely ways to, to to profit quite well from being more aggressive on on Brees Hall than the market. Yep, agreed. All right, let's move on to the second chart here. So now this is looking at more rotational backup running backs guys who are just in the 25 to 45 percent range in terms of percent of team plays where they have a rush attempt or a route i think a couple things that stand out here one early season in the jags backfield robinson had a pretty healthy lead on etn in terms of expected points in terms of snaps that has been trending in the opposite direction over the past couple weeks and you know, if we had an updated version of this chart that just showed the last 
two last three weeks. ETN, I believe, would be ahead of James Robinson uh, on this chart. So I ETN is a guy in season long where I think that the sentiment for owners is probably still low on him. They spent an early round pick likely and haven't really got what they paid for, um, especially with the Jags offense being sort of down the last couple of weeks. But I, I'm looking to, to buy ETN in season long. That's definitely a move. I would recommend Connor, any, any comments on that situation or other, other uh, situations you wanted to touch on here? So um, just again, looking at the, the numbers for just this week and uh, James Robinson, 12 at uh, rush attempts, Travis Etienne 10 and uh, James Robinson, eight routes, Travis Etienne 13. So uh, he, he, he would be ahead of uh, Travis Etienne would be ahead of James Robinson. On looking at more recent data. And I think for me, the way I look at these guys is that they're both uh, young, really talented kind of uh, potential superstar uh, runners that are, have the fortune or misfortune, depending on how you look at it, to share a backfield together. And that the way I, I kind of, I it's, because it's a split backfield, I think they're both going to be overly discounted. And I I guess I want to... It's like I want to take the cheaper one and um, when they have their breakout game, I want to benefit. And I think I, I think it's... They're, they're both really fun picks in, in kind of DFS, uh, best ball DFS. Um, in terms of like... Travis Etienne trending ahead of James Robinson. Um, I kind of, I do buy it to some degree, but uh, I also think that uh, James Robinson is so good that I don't think he's going to get dusted. So I want to buy, I want to buy, what I'm saying is I want to buy Etienne. I want to buy James Robinson. And when they have their smash games, and, they, and and I think they each will have their smash games. I, I want to be in a position to benefit. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Um, yeah, I think and and again to the point of the Jaguars' offense, I think it's a good time to buy Jaguars. I think we saw them start off the season really hot. They've had a couple games where they've looked really bad. I think the truth is somewhere in the middle for the Jags. I think there'll be better days ahead. So. For sure. Uh, I yeah. So that's a situation where, you know, both those guys are probably discounted. You can get a good price. I do want to talk, you know, Kenyon Drake is, you know, without the best wall resurrection ADP, I think sort of talking about waivers guys is probably helpful and relevant this week. Kenyon Drake is a guy that just this past week he saw 34 snaps out of 59 um total team offensive snaps for the Ravens. J.K. Dobbins only saw 16. Mike Davis only saw five. He led the team also in routes run, targets, carries at the running back position. And I'm worried that this Dobbins injury, he looked really bad yesterday, and I think he sat out for most of the second half with, with knee tightness. I'm worried that an IR move could be in the future for uh, J.K. Dobbins, or at least there could be a stretch of time where he remains sort of limited or ineffective. And... Man, Drake might just be the last guy standing in that backfield. I think 
Mike Davis looks even dustier than Drake. Gus Edwards has had the super long recovery from the ACL tear. I don't have a ton of confidence in him coming back. Justice Hill dealing with a hamstring injury. Those are always tough to come back from. So I've seen the general industry sentiment to be like, ah, ignore, ignore this Kenyon Drake game. Doesn't mean anything. But if you can add him for cheap, you know, he's not, he's not a guy I'm spending half my fab budget on. Um, but if you can get him for, you know, sub 10%, I do think he is a pretty solid add, especially in these, um, the bye weeks coming up where you just kind of need guys to plug into the flex. I actually think Drake is a better add than sort of how I've, how I've heard industry people talk about him so far. Do you have any thoughts on the, the Baltimore backfield? Um, it's, it's been kind of ugly. I think you could get a good week from uh, Kenyon or Kenyon Drake. Um, I, I don't know uh, if uh, um, J.K. Dobbins is like, oh, I I don't know if he's going to miss an extended stretch. I guess that the, the fact that maybe there's a probability that, that he might, and that's kind of like upside for uh, Kenyon Drake. Um, but from the comments from John Harbaugh, it was like, it was like, oh yeah, it just um, he just didn't feel like he was having the same explosiveness, um. So it doesn't really sound like a setback, like uh, in 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 just uh, or sorry, maybe maybe it is a maybe that's not accurate. That's not a setback, but it's not like he had a uh, a significant. It doesn't sound like he had a significant setback where he's going to be sidelined for weeks. To ready to come back, maybe it was just kind of like some swelling as he, as he comes back from his ACL, and um, may and I yeah. don't even think that it's in play that he's good to go for next week or uh, definitely the week after, and um, yeah, I suppose there is some floor there because uh, uh, Dobbins is recovering from the ACL and and you don't really know when uh, when he's going to be ready to kind of like take over. Um. So yeah, I I think he, he he's probably he is definitely rosterable, and uh, and like you, I'm not particularly excited to do it, and uh, but you know we we draft these zero or B teams, and even people who, who draft early running backs, sometimes you just need uh, some points this week from your yeah. running back for cheap, uh, and if you can get that from them, then it's definitely worthwhile. Yeah. And sometimes I want to check my biases a little bit with these guys. Like the Latavius Murray situation is maybe an interesting one to highlight where I think myself and a lot of people in the industry were like, oh, Latavius Murray, like he's old, he's washed up. It's just kind of a name that sounds gross for the amount of teams he's played for in the last four years. He doesn't look explosive at all. And I was completely downplaying that situation. Maybe like obviously I, in, in hindsight, I still wouldn't have spent $300 or whatever on Latavius Murray, but I think he was worth adding for cheap and just because of the chance he could take over that backfield. And I think Drake is another guy where just like every, every bias in my brain is like Kenyon Drake washed up, you know, he's been kind of a journeyman running back the past couple of years. Hasn't showed well, a lot. Sean Siegel says he doesn't belong in the NFL. <laughs> yeah. And like I, he's not an NFL talent anymore, uh, which is probably not like it. There's probably is some truth to that. And yeah. But I mean, uh, just to continue my point, like 10, he had 10 rushes for 120 yards last week. Dobbins had seven for 15. Obviously, small sample, it's one game, but like 
I can't completely ignore the fact that he just looked way better than Dobbins. And I'm not sure that a week is going to magically fix this like knee tightening stuff, but yeah, it's gross. But again, I'm just trying to like, I'm trying to check my biases on, on these old wash guys, especially on teams where like, I don't need a star at running back. Like I just need some fucking points. I need more than, I need right. more than it'll, it'll get you some points. Yeah. yeah. But you definitely, eh. You don't you, you want to make sure that your bids are low, that your cost is low, and that when uh, or when or if um it doesn't look like the the situation is as positive for Drake, like because they, they he was inactive like what the week before, um when you see yeah, that again, you're ready to to, to yeah. toss him back with with yep. little regrets, yeah. um. We did have a question in on how to monitor your results uh, in the resurrection draft. Um, so what you need to do is you need to hit the live tab and then go to best ball, and then you should be able to find the resurrection tournament from there. Yeah, and, and your results, like the tournament hasn't... The first points will be scored... Oh, no, sorry. They should have been scored last week. It started. Yeah, it started yeah, yeah. So week. I'm, I'm yep. seeing a live... Uh, yep. I've, um seeing points populated got it yep cool all right connor let's move on to wide receiver unless there's other situations you wanted to touch on there at running back so looking at wide receiver here same chart for those who are familiar uh we're looking at wide receiver opportunity measured in terms of weighted targets per route run versus fantasy points so the results on your lineups on sundays um and here on this chart we have broken players into four quadrants so in the top right we have strong performers these are players with very strong roles that are scoring a lot of points in the bottom right quadrant we have players that are potential buy lows they have really strong roles they're earning a lot of opportunity but they're not converting it to fantasy points at a high rate that's a potential area to look for buy lows and then we also have sell highs in the top left corner. These are guys that have very, I would say, minimal or middling roles, but are scoring a lot of fantasy points. So that's a situation where you might want to potentially sell a high, uh, sell a guy high there. And then finally, bottom left quadrant, uh, jokingly, uh, we have sort of the cardio specialists. So those are guys who are just out there uh, getting some wind sprints in, and they're not really they're not really playing football. They're just kind of they're just kind of getting their cardio in out there um but yeah the the first thing i want to mention on this chart just just for fun uh connor i included travis kelsey and mark andrews this week just to see how they compared against the elite wide receivers and i was i was blown away by where mark andrews pops up on this chart he has the highest weighted targets per route run out of any player that's running more than 85% of routes, higher than Devonta Adams, higher than Cooper Cup, higher than Justin Jefferson, all these, you know, elite wide receivers that we were taking in the first six picks of fantasy this year. Mark Andrews is showing up as a more dominant wide receiver than them at the tight end position in terms of role. Now one, like he's probably not going to score as much of those guys, number one, because you know, he still is a tight end. He probably doesn't have quite the same receiving prowess as them, although I'd argue it's close. But I think the bigger factor, number two, is that he's on the Ravens in sort of a lower volume environment than those guys. So, yeah, I don't know. This this chart just made me even more 
bullish on Mark Andrews. Like I think he was a steal this summer going the late second round. And now I think if there are fantasy drafts today, I would be taking him, you know, right. I think probably behind Jefferson and cup, but I think I'd be taking him ahead of chase and Adams. And then someone like Diggs would be, would be very close for me. It's just such a positional advantage to have Andrews or Kelsey in, in fantasy this year. Any thoughts here on these? Are you talking at tight end premium or? Um, yeah, I guess tight end premium. I would tight end premium. I think I would go even higher for and like. I'm not sure in tight end premium that Andrews and Kelsey shouldn't be number one and number two because I have a hard, honestly, have a really hard time seeing how in the three week shootout. Okay, well maybe this is talking about FFPC. Say there are FFPC main event drafts held today. Let's use that as a hypothetical. I think I would take Andrews number one, Kelsey number two, because they're really the only tight ends that even approach this kind of usage. They have legit like alpha number one wide receiver usage at the tight end position, and the rest of the tight end position has completely flopped. I think it's going to be really, it's really hard to see how you win in a three week shootout without one of those guys so maybe i'm like a little ahead of my skis here and you can certainly argue for mccaffrey barkley you know copper jefferson over those guys but i think they're all at least in the same tier and like personally i would go with one of the elite tight ends and then hope i can um you know still get some elite wide receivers and sort of running backs later in the draft because i know there's no way you're getting any tight end that's going to match the scoring over a three-week period in tight end premium of, of Kelsey and Andrews. Right. Um, so, I mean, that that doesn't sound like the worst... It doesn't sound like the worst pick to make. Um, I, the uh, My only kind of uh, concern uh, would be that it, it is still a lot of points to, put, to pay for a tight end. And so if I look at, uh, uh, so if I look at FFPC points, so Travis Kelsey outscores every other, every wide receiver. <laughs> he's yeah. a high scoring flex player. And, but my own, my, my only concern would be that e- even though we, that's a six week sample size, uh, it, it is kind of hard to see that continue all season. Um, but at the same, just just given that he's an older player, but at the same time, he he uh, he looks great, and the fact that he is the highest scoring flex player on FFPC makes I, it does make for a very very strong argument for uh, for tight ends to be one and two, um, yeah, in FFPC, it's it, it, honestly it it's 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 a. So it is a bit of a hot take, but it's one that's hard to uh, hard to really uh, throw stones at. So, yeah, and I don't want to go like last point I'll make here is like, and this is going down a rabbit hole of hypotheticals. But if it was a one week final, I I don't think I would take Andrews or Kelsey there, right? Because I think in a, in a one week sample size, I could definitely see David and Joku having a big game. You know, even maybe. <laughs> Kyle Pitts coming back from the grave and having a big game, but over a three-week stretch, I just think these two guys, given how different their roles are than any other tight end in the league, one of them is going to separate so massively from the field. In a way, you know, I think it's I think it's possible at wide receiver that happens too, right? Like 
Cup can go off. But I think at wide receiver, you're more likely to find, you know, the Monroe St. Brown of last year. You know, maybe pick up Wandale Robinson and he puts together a crazy run down the stretch. I think that's possible to find those diamonds in the rough at wide receiver in a way that like at tight end over a three-week period, I think you're just like, you're not, you're not going to find it. So, um, but anyways, that, that was a lot, a lot of time at tight ends for the wide receiver chart. Um, let's, let's talk about some receivers here. Uh, Connor, any, any guys that, that stand out to you, maybe, maybe in the buy, I guess a question to make more targeted, any of the guys like hovering in that buy low range that you are uh, most excited about going forward? Um, so obviously we had the, uh, we had the Brandon IU call last week and, um, he yeah, had a very awesome. strong performance last week, which was really nice to see at really low ownership. Um, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to, uh, to, to really make a case for anybody that we haven't talked about before. Um, Zay Jones is showing up as getting a strong um a strong uh target for route run and obviously ridiculously cheap. So interested there. Josh Reynolds is somewhat interesting. Um but I'm I'm almost more uh interested in that Jameson Williams is coming back soon and would be taking over that role. And yeah. I think Reynolds is a just a follow up on Reynolds. I think a great spot start. You know, say say Shark misses a game or a Monarch misses a game, and um, Jameson still hasn't come back yet. I think you can do a lot worse than putting Reynolds into your flex as like a spot start. But yeah, I think in the long term, with Jameson coming back, with Shark, you know, not suffering a major injury, like I have a hard time seeing that that payoff in the long run. But I think a good like DFS player spot start in the right sort of injury situation uh landscape there uh but yeah continue uh, it sounds like you had some other other thoughts um so uh robbie anderson does look interesting given that he's now been traded to the cardinals yeah uh, the cardinals are a tricky offense now just because they haven't played very well but um given that they do get nuked back and uh, hollywood is now injured i do think robbie anderson when he when he does play will be really interesting as a kind of number two that uh could benefit from nuke drawing uh coverage yeah yeah i think those are all those are all good ones yeah it's tough to you know I, it's like we already talked about legimer like there it, it feels like there should be a blow-up game and then they have what 18 pass attempts that's like <laughs> do i do i really want to uh do i really want to go down that route again yeah i'm starting to almost throw in the towel on elijah Moore. like i, I still think any guy that's running 90 to 95 percent of the routes you know he's worth the df like i still think he's a good dfs play he's going to be really low owned in in the matchup where they're forced to throw i think he could luck into sort of a big target game just you know we saw it a little bit with alan robinson last week right like not a not a massive game, but these type of like wind sprint guys, just the fact that they're on the field means they can stumble into five catches and a touchdown. Yeah. And, you know, I still think Elijah Moore's talent is good enough that he could break off a long play here or there and be sort of a good 
DFS play, but yeah, man, it would have to be sort of a, a large, a large tournament play, I think, because he's just not really, he's not really earning, earning the targets um, at this point. Like he's not even in the buy low for those um, looking at the chart. He's, he's more in, in cardio specialist near guys like Josh Palmer, Allen Robinson, Robbie Anderson. So it's a little, a little scary for him uh, from sort of a season long perspective. But, it, it definitely feels like a gross play. Yeah. Damn. But eh, the only thing about it is, like, should he be earning zero targets? The I, I think the answer is no. And will they find a way to correct that? Kind of hope so. And yeah. So it, it, it's a very uncomfortable play. But he, he is a player that is good enough that if he were to hit, would hit in a really big way. Yeah. Well, last guy, I think we should touch on the only guy who is, you know, in the sell high quadrant, Gabriel Davis. And I, I heard um, to sort of uh, paraphrase Hayden Winks on, on a podcast. He said that the um, the earned target share bros uh, lose again with with Gabriel Davis. And I, I think it's it's kind of it, it was in jest, but it, it's this weird thing with Gabe Davis where, you know, I, I think there's this stance where you can be pro Gabe Davis and acknowledge that his earned target share is going to be pretty bad. And you're just, it's just like very unique situation where he's on the best offense in the league, you know, with the highest scoring expectation of any quarterback in, in Josh Allen. And just that is like, we're so used to thinking about sustainability in terms of target share and targets and yards. But with Gabe Davis, I think this touchdown stuff, like, is somewhat sticky and you can rely on it, even though his target share is going to be bad. I would still make the point that, you know, back to last week, he was going in the same range as guys like DK Metcalf, Amari Cooper, um, you know, Cortland Sutton, these, these guys who are earning massive roles and I can't justify like valuing Gabe higher than that. But that said, like if you have Gabe Davis in fantasy, like I still think you should be starting him. Like this, this is somewhat, this is maybe like a lukewarm take, but I think like he's probably slightly overvalued, but this touchdown stuff and this big play stuff, I think is like somewhat sustainable, even though it's really, really low target volume for him. Yeah. Um, and I think um, the volume as well is not terrible. Um, you mean the it, raw volume, like not the, the yeah. share, the raw volume. Yeah. Like, um, Last so last week, he did have uh, he had five targets uh, and eighty eight air yards, which is like not amazing, but it's it's not bad either. And uh, the week before, he had one hundred and sixty eight air yards on um on six targets. Yeah, he's still capping out. Like I think his highest target total in a game is like six this year, and it's been a lot right. of. Like- He's he's probably going to earn five or six really, really valuable targets every week. Um, And the the target share is always going to be low, but it's almost like they have so many pass attempts that even a low target share is still getting you five to six. And those five to six have such high touchdown equity that he is going to be a point scorer, but definitely um not uh at the a value that he belongs in the third and unfor- third and fourth rounds yeah 
Agreed. So I, I think we agreed there. It's just interesting to, to look through the numbers. Yeah, he's a, he's a true sort of anomaly uh, in the data this year. So an interesting talking point. Let's move on to this next group of wide receivers in the 65 to 85% of routes run categories. These are guys that are, you know, anywhere from sort of close to full-time players like Diggs, Tyree Kill, to guys that are more maybe slot guys or, you know, guys that are not earning a vast majority of their team's routes. Um, Connor, the first guy I wanted to talk about here, and I, and I tweeted this in my thread, was Chris Olave. He breaks the chart here in terms of the role. Now, I think, like, he had these insane you outliers. You have to change the chart, too. What you I say? didn't know you were calling out. You have to change the axis of this chart to accommodate. And, and so the, on yeah. the first page, this way to target throughout run only goes to 80%. Yeah. And you have to change to 85% because now they're breaking the chart. But if it was at 80%, they wouldn't even be on the page. Yeah. They would. They don't even show up if you kept the axis the same. So I had to adjust it. Yeah, Olave and Tyreek. I mean... Tyreek's obvious, like, man, he's he's the biggest smash this year. Um, we can talk about him in a sec, but Olave is maybe an interesting guy from a season-long perspective where I think there's still a buying opportunity on him. The fantasy points haven't quite caught up to his role, uh, and I think the owner could be spooked by that concussion. I mean, maybe you should be slightly spooked by that con- concussion. It did look bad, but, man, his role is just massive, um, and – you know, compared to these other some of these other rookies, he's just in such a better situation. Drake London has the whole sort of Kyle Pitts problem of the Atlanta offense just regressing to the 1940s. You have guys like Garrett Wilson who are just not getting the full set of the team snaps. You know, Sky Moore even even worse in that in that spectrum. So Alave, I think, is the rookie I'm most excited about going forward, and is somebody I'd be willing to to pay up for if, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of a good like example of a trade offer I would send in a league, like any sort of middling running back. Maybe you can send off David Montgomery um, and catch an owner falling asleep who, who might give you Chris Olave, like running backs in that sort of range. I might be looking to, to move for Olave. Um, okay. Sam over under how many people listen to this podcast drafted David Montgomery <laughs> yeah that that's true uh <laughs> the venn diagram of people who listen to this podcast and drafted david montgomery is is tiny uh and if you are one of those people just know that we love you but you're in the minority yeah so this this advice i'm just realizing was was for absolutely nobody out here listening but um maybe there's there's one there's got to be one of you who drafted david montgomery out there and uh get rid of him let's get down to zero David Montgomery owners uh, <laughs> listen to this podcast. And uh, this, this is interesting point about Garrett Wilson. So even last week, I thought, oh, maybe that's just week one stuff. But even last week, he only ran a route on uh, uh, 62% of, uh, of the dropbacks. Like, yeah, it's, man, it's just like the, the cord- routes last week. Yeah. What the fuck? We hate that. I mean, it's just the Braxton Berrios stuff. It's just, it's just when there's that fourth, like, you know, it goes under, I think, under noticed and not talked about much. But when there's that fourth wide receiver out there that the team likes, 
that's going to just hurt everybody unless you're on a really good offense. I think like, you know, Diggs can get away with the fact that there's these sort of fourth wide receivers who get some looks and he doesn't have a hundred percent role, you know, obviously isn't the bills. Like someone like that can get away with it, but what's the team like the Jets? And, and when he does play, when, when, when they get him on the field, they're like, okay, we're throwing the dicks. Yeah. Like when, when they take him off the field, it's to give him a breeder so that they can throw to him more when he comes back. Whereas yeah. these other offenses, it's definitely tougher. Jeff's, I mean, come on, don't give Jeff Smith eight snaps. Just give those, give those to Gary Wilson. There's, there's no need for that. Um, yeah. Anyways, this, this question was interesting uh, from Nick that I wanted to bring up. London or Bateman rest of season. Um, Connor, why don't you, you go first here and then I'll, I'll share, share my stance. So. I would lean probably Bateman at this stage. And yeah, I'm with you. Just because, obviously, we're worried about the injury. We'll want to come back from the injury. And the Raven, it's just, it's one of those things of, like, the talent is, is, is Drake London probably has a slight edge in talent. Slight, slight edge. But Bateman is, is, kind of it's holding them to an almost draw and then the offense that you want to be involved in is is so obviously the uh the ravens over the falcons where they're going to sco- score so many more touchdowns they're going to have so much more production overall you got to play with lamar jackson like i'm i'm generally um weighing uh, uh talent over offense but when the talent is that close, and then the off one offense is so much clearly better than the other, I I, I guess it. I think the offense kind of overrules the rest of it. Yeah, and I'm with you there. And on the Falcons, I was just looking at this. Um, you know, I think a big problem with the Falcons is they like they need to be pushed to to pass if it's close or they're winning. Like Mariota, I think was 13 of 14 last week. Like these insanely low pass total games. And I just wanted to point out on their schedule, it's not getting a lot better. So they have the Bengals this next week. That could be good. The Bengals could push them. I could see that one being good for, for London Pitts. Then it goes Panthers, Chargers. Again, that would be okay. But then Panthers again, then the Bears, then the Commanders, then the Steelers, then the Saints. I mean... Panthers twice, Bears, Commanders, Steelers. I mean, that's five of the next seven games where I don't really expect the other team to push them, and they're going to get away with just this Caleb Huntley, 15 carries, Tyler Algier, 10 carries, like these these games where they don't need to throw at all. So I'm really nervous about the volume in Atlanta, and I would also be on the Bateman side of things. I mean, the foot foot injuries are always scary. I guess the fact that he wasn't on IR, like I'm retaining some optimism, he'll be able to to come back this year and and produce. I'm just I'm going for the the offense that has more upside, even though London in a better offense with the way he's dominating targets could really really smash it. I just don't I don't think it's gonna happen with Atlanta this year. I think I would feel slightly better about it if they were losing games, and but they're like they're going five five hundred right now. They've won three games. So, like, it's not like the coach is going to be under this pressure to change approach or 
and his, his job is under pressure. Like, you can feel pretty good that they're going to play like this for the rest of the year, unfortunately. Yeah. A couple quick hits I had, um, and then I think we should move on. I think Tyquan Thornton is a guy that you should add everywhere. I would say FFPC-style leagues, I would go up to uh, 10%-ish for Thornton. Uh, your other leagues, you can probably add in for free, your more casual home leagues. Um, and then Chris Godwin, I think, is one of the best buy low candidates out there. He ha- is showing a bigger role uh, week in and week out. And we often see guys coming off of ACL tears. We see the second half of the year, they show out a lot better. It often takes them a while to sort of to get their confidence um, and even sort of their snap rate up in the first half of the season. So I'm expecting big things ahead for Godwin. Any any other quick hits you wanted to touch on here, Connor? Uh no, I think uh I think you covered it. Okay. Um, I'll let you have the floor here on this last chart for uh the wide receiver opportunity versus fantasy points. And I'm, this these are all guys getting less than 65% of their team routes. I think a couple interesting rookies uh, to talk about here. One, our cover boy in Wandale Robinson for this episode. Wandale. Wandale, sorry. <laughs> I forgot he had the uh, uh, Latino explana- uh, pronunciation there. But yeah, do you want to talk? Let's talk about Wandale. What, what is our level of excitement going forward? Uh, so obviously, really excited to see him with strong target earning ability. And. So the fact that he is a uh, what you call it, n- not playing the the snaps that we want yet is is a, I guess means you're not going to start him next week, but the Giants really do need a lot of help at wide receiver. So the fact that he is producing and uh, at a really high rate on a per snap basis. And in both, both in terms of kind of like getting catches and yards, and then also that he caught he caught he got the touchdown for them, and um, means that he is someone where you have to feel good that he's going to be a big part of their offense as the season goes on. And um, yep. one concern is that it's a giant, so that the uh, the passing game is probably not going to be too big of a pie but um he's a really talented rookie he dominated in college and uh, his first is, is i guess his second game back he played really strong and his his efficiency has been quite good so definitely excited to uh to add him to a bench and uh wait for him to kind of take off a bit yep Agreed. Just to add a little bit more numbers to it, he was only at like 25%, actually under 25% routes last week, but I expect that to grow. There's nobody really ahead of him there that could challenge him from a talent perspective. So yeah, great, great person to add to your benches. And he could be, you know, if we're looking for an Amon Ra St. Brown this year, a guy who sort of does nothing in the first half of the season then comes on huge down the stretch I would look to Wandale, Sky Moore, and Tyquan Thornton as sort of the the three top candidates there. Now, odds of anybody doing what St. Brown did, obviously really low, but we got to take some stabs here. And those guys all 
profile as you know day one or sorry day two NFL picks um, on you know teams not a lot of wide receiver talent ahead of them that are flashing strong target earning abilities in limited sample sizes. So yeah, all three and, of those. And guys one are- one point about uh, Wandale and uh, that I think is easy to miss. So uh, people see someone with his uh, stature and athletic kind of archetype. Oh, he's earning a bunch of targets. Must be a gadget guy. So he actually got an average depth of target of nine point three uh, last week, at uh, thirty seven air yards on uh, on four targets, and um, so definitely not a gadget guy. An actual like legitimate uh, running proper routes NFL receiver, and we're excited to see what he can do the rest of the year. Yep. And last thing I'll mention on him is. I think, you know, also he did play running back quite successfully in college. So I do think there is a bit of a contingent upside where Barkley to, to go down. The Giants don't have a ton in that running back room. And I do think he would have a chance at least at earning some kind of Debo Samuel, Curtis Samuel-esque running back usage uh, in the Giants where, where Barkley to go down. But obviously that's, you know, more of a contingency uh, sort of fringe scenario, but I do think that is at least possible given his profile. Let's end with tight ends here, Connor. Um, we, you know, for people who have been listening, this is the same chart we've always had, um, similar to the running back one where we're looking at percent of team dropbacks and we just want to know um, on dropbacks, are these tight ends out there? Are they running routes? Uh, and we sort of ordered the chart as so so guys running the most routes mark andrews george kittle etc on the far left hand side of this chart um and we also have target per route run shown at the bottom here so how many targets are they earning uh when they actually run a route and um a dot so are they being used as sort of a shallow area dump off guy aka tyler higby or are they being used as a wide receiver down the field like our boy Greg Dulcich with the highest, sorry, second highest A dot of any tight end in this chart behind only Kyle Pitts. I think that's a natural place to start here, Connor. So we, we wanted to make him our uh, our cover boy, but the uh, the flagship sh- show said no, that's our cover boy. And yeah, uh, we were they, said we were- they would literally replace us within 10 minutes if we had that as our cover boy. So we had <laughs> we had to capitulate. Um yeah, um, I guess for an 18th round pick that was often undrafted, uh, getting a very strong target or sorry, route share is super encouraging. Um, then he, I guess, he's also getting down the field looks. The, I guess, the only possible concern is that uh, the target share is still pretty low um yeah so he ran a route um he ran 27 routes i believe on 34 dropbacks and saw just three targets but yeah i think on a one week sample size the the target rate is extremely variable i'm just way more excited on the fact that he was out there running all those routes i mean he iced tomlinson saubert you know, Alberto, a healthy scratch. Yeah, I saw these these guys that have been getting looks in past weeks. So, yeah, I'm extremely bullish. Like, I don't think it's, 
I think it's fair to call him, you know, a low end tight end one already for the rest of the year, maybe sure. high end, tight end two. Like, and that is the other piece that that uh, so I'm I'm worried about the the 11% target share, but when compared to uh, other tight ends, a rookie got a rookie getting that high percentage of routes and a dot immediately compared to other tight ends, it's like the, in the in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king, uh, and <laughs> his. Yeah. Uh, his route, he still rattles the other tight ends is, is really strong. Yeah. And just to give like, you know, for people making sit start decisions, like, you know, what is the line for Dulcich? Like I'm, I'm still playing Njoku over him. I'm still probably playing TJ Hawkinson over him. But then once we get down to like the Hayden Hurst, Dawson Knox, Gerald Everett range, I think I'm going to go with the upside with Dulcich there um you know it's it's highly variable uh we don't have a ton of data on him but he's out there running all the routes he's being used downfield you're looking for upside with these you know late tight end um stabs like i want a guy who can catch like a 30 yard seam pass for a touchdown i don't really want the guys like you know conklin where you're just praying for like the i guess conklin has a high eight that's maybe a bad example but the guy like austin hooper where you're just praying you know, he gets a red zone touchdown. He's never going to make a play down the field. So I'm pretty excited about Dulcich going forward and congrats to everybody who, who stashed him or drafted him in the, in the 18th round. Uh, anything else? I mean, we talked about Andrews and Kelsey, just they blow everybody else out of the water here. I think it's kind of a similar story that we've touched on with Kittle, um, Goddard and Waller before where like the roles still look pretty good but um it's nice seeing uh kittles at uh, route share uh creep up even more to, yeah. to the number two route share and uh, 18 target per route run and it it is nice to see him getting more involved after kind of get not not quite airballed but close to it in the first couple of weeks yeah i think that's true i, I do think like that 18 percent number for Kittle and for Waller, I just noticed coincidentally also has that number. Like it's not bad, but it's kind of a bummer considering it doesn't really stand out from the rest of the field here. Like it's probably slightly above average, but you know, you got Zachary, it's 20% targets per route run. Uh, you got Dallas Goddard there at 17. You got Ingram at 18, Higby at 24%. Like all these middling guys, you got a lot later, like Waller and Kittle aren't really separating from them, right. which I think at this point, like, I'd rather have Waller and Kittle than those guys I mentioned, but I think it was a miss potentially to be drafting them where I was this offseason. I think I have a lot of both of those guys, and I think probably the move this year, obviously in retrospect, um, if you could do it over again, you would take a ton of Kelsey, you would take a ton of Andrews, and you'd probably fade the middle round tight ends, which I did did hear some people <clears throat> advocating for this offseason. So. Congrats. I'm not ready to throw in the, t- the towel on Kittle. Just no, I, yeah, I don't think you should give up either, but it's um, yeah. I, I mean I, I'm not trying to suggest that you were asking saying that people should cut him, but um I'm still I'm still ready to invest in uh in Kittle. Uh but Waller, I'm a bit more I'm a bit more worried um just given that we have the bigger sample size. 
and um still have that kind of like 18% target share, which is not really where you want it. Yeah, it's it's not great. And hamstring injuries for older players also not great. Let's uh let's wrap this thing up with the you know, we, we get asked about this chart every week. I get people DMing me, Sam, can you make a third string tight end chart? You know, the backup tight end chart isn't quite scratching the itch. You know, I can't quite commit to that yet. That's still going to be behind the paywall. But the backup, the backup tight end chart uh, we do have this week. A lot of really exciting names on here. We got Eric Saubert. We got Pharaoh Brown. Uh, we got Tommy Tremble. You know, guys who I definitely know what team they're on. Um, Tanner Hudson, that's another guy. Definitely, definitely know what team he's on. Definitely don't have to look it up. Um, okay, now that you're done trolling us all, please give me <laughs> actionable information on these tight ends, Sam. Uh, actually, I, I did have some notes here. So, um, there's some interesting tight end injuries to monitor. Waller, we talked about. Um, so Jesper Horstead. Who I, th- I believe came from the Bears and is now on the Raiders. He actually got the start and ran a pretty. He ran sort of a Waller-like route share when both him, sorry, when both Waller and Moreau missed time. So for those of you who are really desperate, monitor the Moreau and Waller situations. And in tight end premium, I don't think Horstead would be the worst flyer. Similarly, in Tampa Bay, there's an injury situation. Cameron Brait went down with a pretty scary neck injury i probably should have led with this one because i think it's the the more exciting ad but i think kate Otten, he's probably been scooped up in your um your high stakes uh really competitive leagues but he's probably out there in a ton of casual leagues i think he is a pretty good start going forward i expect Brate to miss some time he's earned i believe seven targets uh in, in his last start when Brate went down so decent role there for Otten. and then hendershot is the other guy with schultz um, let me actually check the Dallas routes last week, but Schultz did not play. And what did the tight end situation look like? I believe it was Hendershot that was ahead. Yep. So Hendershot ran 23 routes on 38 dropbacks. Jake Ferguson ran 15. Uh, Hendershot saw five targets. So he's leading the tight ends there in routes. Again, if you're really desperate, um, I think these are three in- injury situations to monitor in Dallas. Tampa Bay and Las Vegas. And then the last last backup tight end thing I want to mention, the Daniel Bellinger role. Um, this is more anecdotally. I wish I had more data to back this up, but it seems to be growing. And they're also scheming him like running plays. I believe he had a rushing touchdown in the past two weeks. Yeah, actually looking at, um, this is from Nathan Janke at PFF, but Bellinger's percentage of offensive snaps have, has risen almost every week this year from right at 50% in week one to above um, 85% this past week. So he's really taking over the tight end role there in New York and on a team where, you know, we've talked about how barren the wide receiver room is. I think for the more casual leagues out there where Bellinger is still on, waivers he is definitely worth an ad uh yeah so i i kind of got excited there in the backup tight ends i'm not sure i left you tell me about the contingent value for harrison bryant (laughs) sadly i wish that was a joke but i feel like we've talked about that on every podcast so far so 
So uh, he's he's earning he's got that high target for that run. When David and Joku goes down, you're just gonna be licking your lips that you're plus licking your chops that you get the number one tight end in Cleveland. Yeah, we are the only podcast talking about Harrison Bryan every single week. Uh, right. So, That's <laughs> going to be the best victory lap of all time. Yeah. When we win money with Harrison Bryan. Yeah. I think, yeah. All right. Well, that that was, uh, you know, we'll, we'll maybe hit the third string tight ends next week, but going to have to close it out there. That, that was fun, Connor. I uh, talked a lot about it, a lot of interesting situations. Um, I'll just do a couple quick plugs. Number one, if you want to, again, like I talked about at the top, if you want to join these streams live to ask questions, get yourself into the ship chasing discord, a lot of good conversation going on there. We also have, uh, Pete, Gretch and Pat hopping into those as well, which I'm sure you guys are all aware of, but yeah, that's, that's number one. Number two, you can check out, um, my all of my takeaways from these charts on Twitter at underscore or sorry at Sherman underscore FFB on Twitter uh, with sort of more detailed thoughts on these charts. Uh, Connor, anything to plug before we get out of here? Uh, yeah, not in particular. Uh, subscribe, Rotoviz, uh, join us in the Discord. Uh, I was a lot of fun. Uh, would love to any, anybody who who listens to the show and uh, would like to chat with us. Uh, we're always there, or not always available, but generally available. Yep. Yeah. Feel free to leave uh, mean YouTube comments as well. That really um, is a good way to engage with us. <laughs> always happy to answer those. <laughs> the, un- the, the untouchables. Yeah. Well, anyways, that was fun. Um, for backup tight end chasing. Um, we will see you next week. Good luck in week seven, everybody. Bye.